This is a biggie. This is the biggie. This is where the beast really comes into his own, as it were. Now again, as I've mentioned over the weeks as we've been studying Revelation, not everything is totally chronological here. There are some who believe, partially based upon this chapter, and because in chapter 12, we saw things that related to the halfway point in the tribulation. The war in heaven between Michael and his angels and the devil and his angels and, and Satan being cast to the earth. Then there are those who believe that what we see here in 13, the beast being introduced, means that he will not come to power till halfway through the tribulation. I don't believe that. I believe he will emerge in some form at least at the beginning because he is, after all, the one, according to Daniel chapter 9, who negotiates the peace treaty, the Middle East peace treaty between Israel and all of her enemies. That's in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, I believe. So he has to be on the scene at the beginning. And we also saw when the first rider went forth, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the first rider was the rider on the white horse bringing a false peace. Now what I believe is uh, that in the middle of the tribulation, of course that's when he sets himself up in the temple in Jerusalem to be worshipped as God. The first half of the tribulation, he appears to be this man of peace. When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them. At the halfway point, I think the beginning of the chapter is kind of a, um, another one of these back flashes where we see his emergence. But as we move further in then, we see the full evil of the Antichrist inhabited by Satan himself begins to emerge. So anyway, let's read verses 1 through 4. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. This is John having his vision. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his ten horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon gave him power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beasts. So they worshipped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Let's pray. Father, we pray for your ongoing wisdom, insight, understanding as we study this book of Revelation, which does have a lot of imagery but it's not really as hard to understand as many people would make it out to be. Lord, just uh, teach us today by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see here that John is standing on the sand of the sea, and he sees a beast rising up out of the sea. The sea represents humanity. And so it's someone rising up out of the sea of humanity uh, to become the one world ruler, the beast, the Antichrist. Kind of similar, again, some might be offended at this example or analogy, but in recent memory, in recent history, uh, two men 
who rose to great heights of power, uh, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, both kind of appeared out of nowhere. Did you notice that? Nobody had ever heard of them before. They weren't major players in the political arena, and yet suddenly out of nowhere, both of them rose up and became presidents. Uh, this, it's similar to what we see here. A man rising up. I mean, there's certainly people in the world today that we could look at and say, oh, I wonder if that might be him. But no real obvious candidates at this point. Now, another interesting aspect, I just had another conversation with someone about this this morning, but we talked about it last week also. Many people are now embracing the idea of superior alien intelligence coming back to earth to save us from ourselves right and what we're hearing more and more i don't know how much you guys follow the news world events national events and so forth but one of the strongest messages out there today is that the blight of this planet is us the human beings the, the hu humanity right we're the problem here we're the virus we're the cancer you know, we're destroying the planet, we're destroying the environment, and so on and so forth. And then, if you happen to be of a certain ethnicity, you should also be eradicated. Right? And so, there's not a day that goes by now that you don't see several articles about alien entities, UFOs, and so forth. I just saw one about the Pentagon confirming UFO activity and so forth and they claim I forget where it was located but they claim they even have pieces of a of a UFO and alien craft and so forth but when I was a kid growing up it was more like just humorous grade B science fiction movies remember about aliens and UFOs and so forth nobody took it all that seriously but now it's become a very serious topic uh, on a daily basis and along with that, if you look into it, every ancient culture and civilization has stories and drawings. Our own Native American cultures around us here have these. They have stories and drawings of so-called alien entities or, you know, people from somewhere else, outer space, another planet, giants encroaching upon and dominating their societies. It's all over the world, these ancient hieroglyphics. And as I mentioned last week, even the Vatican is actively involved in finding and identifying these, quote, superior alien entities. So even though we see the beast here appears to be rising up from the sea of humanity, in light of the fact that the whole world is going to totally yield to the power and authority of Anthony Fauci, I mean the beast. Um, oops. <laughs> the whole world is going to yield to the power and authority of this beast. One interesting possibility, it certainly would make sense that he presents himself as a superior, more highly evolved life form in the same way that believers acknowledge and submit to God as the highest authority, 
The world is going to submit to this world leader, antichrist, beast, as some type of superior, more highly evolved being, perhaps. After all, the idea is that he will be the antichrist. He will be a messianic figure that will ultimately aspire to godhood. Very interesting. There was a series quite a while ago, I don't know how many of you might remember it, called V. Anybody remember that, V? I enjoyed it, it was good, but these aliens came from another planet, and man, they were good-looking women and men, sharp, you know, and they were there to uh, save the earth. What they were really there to do was to suck up all the water from the earth because their planet had dried up. But they deceived a lot of people in the beginning. And the interesting thing is that uh, their outer appearance was just like, like I said, other human beings, but most of them were like really good looking, you know, attractive. But uh, underneath they were actually reptilian. Do you remember that? Interesting, reptilian. I think that uh, the dragon, Satan, who appeared to Eve in the garden as a serpent, I think he's reptilian, isn't he? And there's a lot of uh, speculation going around about reptilians too, so we'll see. We will see. And we do know that the Antichrist will be personally indwelt by Satan himself. So yes, the Antichrist will be reptilian. Now I don't know if that literally means he's going to look like a reptile, but we'll see. Now, so we have the beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. This matches, in case you're noticing, this matches the description of the great red dragon, who is Satan, in chapter 12, confirming again that the beast, the Antichrist, and Satan are essentially one and the same. And it makes sense. You know, Satan's been trying to take, take over this world for roughly 6,000 years since the Garden of Eden. And he's failed over and over again. So he's finally going to get to the place where he says, you know what, if you want a job done right, you've got to do it yourself. Right? So he's going to personally indwell this Antichrist, this beast. And so their, their descriptions are pretty much identical. Revelation 12:3. another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his heads or crowns. The only difference between the two descriptions is that the crowns of the beast are on the ten horns. We talked about this. There will be the, the earth, and this has already been laid out by the globalists. The earth will be divided into ten quadrants, ten districts. How many were there in the Hunger Games? Twelve. So we're only, thirteen? We're only going to get ten. Where's Katniss when you need her? Um, the earth is going to be divided into ten regions. And so there will be these governors, prime ministers, whatever you want to call them, serving under the Antichrist. But the only difference here is that the crowns of the beast are on the ten horns 
rather than the seven heads of the dragon. As you know, in the Bible, the number seven equates to what? Completion, fulfillment, perfection. So in chapter 12, where the, where the diadems are on the seven heads, it indicates that for this brief period of time in the tribulation, Satan's power will be fully manifest on the earth during the tribulation. Up to this point, he's been restrained. We've talked about this as we looked back to the book of Job, chapter 1, where God gave Satan permission to, you know, test Job, remember? The only thing Satan couldn't do was take Job's life. Another restraining force in this world against the powers of darkness is us. Believers, followers of Christ who are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are a restraining force. When the rapture of the church takes place, that restraining force to a large degree will be removed. And the idea of the tribulation is God unleashing the fullness of his wrath upon the planet. And we saw last week that halfway through the tribulation, Satan is cast to the earth, so his power will be fully manifest on this planet like never before. If you think it's bad now, this is like romper room compared to what's coming. How many of you remember romper room? I see Bobby and Jimmy. I guess that show had a powerful impact on me as a little duffer. Romper room. I learned, oh, I, I got in trouble one time. Miss Sherry on romper room taught us how to take a balloon and then you make a paste with the flour and water and, and you can like paper mache over this balloon and then you pop the balloon and you have this cool, well, I, I was about six. I tried doing that. It didn't work out too well, but I didn't check with my mom first and I made a huge mess. I mean, I wasn't trying to do anything bad or wrong. I was just following Miss Sherry, but I did get in trouble for that. I did get in trouble for that one. Okay, so we have the seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns, ten crowns. So there's your ten districts or regions of the earth. So that's why they're trying to wipe out all the national sovereignty. Have you noticed that? It's called globalism. And President Trump had tried to reverse that. America first, you know, protect our nation. But the globalist movement is all about tearing down boundaries and national sovereignty so that they can then redistrict us according to their plan. You know, we could envision one region being Canada, the U.S., Mexico, that type of a thing, which, again, has been happening for quite some time now anyway with all the inter-country commerce between Canada, U.S., Mexico, and so forth, NAFTA, and all those things. Now, on his head's a, bla a blasphemous name. We already saw the, uh, you know, the, the abomination that causes desolation. Halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist will set himself up in the temple in Jerusalem to be worshipped as God. So this blasphemous name is indicative of his intention to usurp God's power and authority and claim the earth's throne for himself. So he'll transition from being Supposedly a man of peace, a messianic figure, someone here to save the world to who he really is, 
the ultimate dictator and tyrant of all times. 2 Thessalonians 2.1 Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to, to be soon shaken in mind or troubled. And there were some problems there in the early church uh, in Thessalonica. Somebody had come in and, and taught them that the rapture had already happened and they missed it and this type of thing and they were, they were all upset and Paul was trying to set them straight. Not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter. Somebody's sending them a bogus letter. As if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. You can imagine how unsettling that would be. You've got your hopes set on the return of Christ, seeing Jesus face to face, being with him forever in his eternal kingdom. And then somebody tells you, oh, you missed it. You ever walked into a room where you expected to find some people and nobody's there? And for just a split second, you wondered if maybe you missed the rapture? <laughs> it's not a good feeling, is it? Verse 3, let no one deceive you by any means, either by a book or a TV program or what have you. For that day, the big D, D-Day, will not come unless the falling away comes first. Now, this could mean two things. It could mean both things. From whence I come, and the teaching that I received under Pastor Chuck Smith, this has to do with an apostasy in the last days. And there are other Bible verses to confirm that, that there will be a great falling away, and we're living in that time right now. Oh, I don't know if you saw this, but they, for the first time in the history of our nation, church membership has fallen below 50%. Fewer and fewer people are attending church. And that includes even groups that we wouldn't probably consider to be genuine, bona fide Christian groups, but they come under that name tag. And so if you were to remove them, it would probably be even lower for the evangelical Christian churches. But it's fallen below 50% for the first time. The falling away could also be, as, as some others have pointed out, the snatching away of the saints, the rapture. So it could be either or, it could be both. But again, the man of sin, the man of perdition, the Antichrist will not be revealed unless the falling away comes first. And that would make sense that in order to prepare the world to receive him, there would have to be a tremendous departure from the true faith, right? Which is happening even as we speak. Because even many that are still under the umbrella of the church are getting farther and farther away from the truth and embracing. Those of you that are reading the book, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? If you haven't gotten the book, I highly recommend that you do. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. So there's the blasphemous name as he identifies himself as God. So that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Again, boy, ties right in with the book. Verse 2. Yes, we're all the way to verse 2. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. His mouth like the mouth of a lion. 
The dragon, Satan, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. This verse parallels with Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage from Daniel 7. I believe it will be up on your screen or look it up in your Bible. That would be good too. Daniel 7 beginning in verse 2. Daniel spoke saying, I saw in my vision by night and behold the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was a lion and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly another beast, a second, like a bear, it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked and there was another like a leopard which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. This seems to be speaking of a, some kind of a power struggle between the emerging Antichrist and four other of the world leaders. There in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking pompous words. I think what we're going to do, folks, I'm going to read on through, I'm going to begin again here in verse 15 of Daniel 7, but I think next week I'm going to actually teach in depth out of this seventh chapter of Daniel because it ties in so strongly with what we're seeing here in Revelation 13. So this will be an overview today, and then next week we're going to do a deep dive into Daniel chapter 7. Beginning in verse 15 again, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this, so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings which arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I wished to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its teeth of iron and its nails of bronze, which devoured, broke in pieces, and trampled the residue with its feet. And the ten horns were on its head, and the other horn which came up before which three fell, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. I was watching, and the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them. Again, you might say, well, I thought we weren't supposed to be here, but there will be saints on the earth during the tribulation. There will be people who come to Christ that are saved after the rapture. These are the saints, and plus there will be many Jewish converts during the tribulation as well. So, the same horn was making war against the saints and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came, and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High, and the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom. This is the end of the tribulation. 
moving into the millennial reign of Christ on the earth, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, when we receive the fullness of the kingdom. And another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High, shall persecute the saints of the Most High, and shall, and shall intend to change times and law. And by the way, we've already had some changes in that, if you probably already noticed this, we used to have B.C. and A.D., remember? And although they are Latin in origin, the common understanding was B.C. before Christ, right? A.D. after his death. But now it's B.C.E. We have C we're now living in C.E., the common era. A.D. stands for Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. So previously, it was... 1995 A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, because ever since Christ came, it all belongs to Him. But now it's C.E., common era. Did you know this? We're in the common era now, C.E. And prior, it's interesting, they couldn't figure out a way to completely wipe out the fact that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. So we have B.C.E., before the common era, and then starting with 2,000 years ago when Christ came and so forth, that's, we're now in the common era. You have before the common era and the common era so they could try to totally eradicate any connection between our calendar and the coming of Jesus Christ. So really, we've already seen a partial fulfillment of this where the Antichrist will have a desire to change times and laws and we're already seeing that happening. He shall intend to change times and law. And we're also seeing a lot of that already as well. Now, the saints shall be given into his hand for a time and times and half a time. This is the second half of the tribulation when he unleashes that final holocaust against the Jewish people. But caught up in that will be any believers that are around as well. The court shall be seated and they shall take away his dominion. That court that will be seated when Christ returns and we come with him and thrones of judgment are set up. We've talked about that, the extension of time that we talked about either last week or the week before. To consume and destroy it forever. To consume and destroy the dominion of the Antichrist forever. And by the way, since he and Satan are pretty much one and the same, that includes the devil too. Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. That's the millennium. Now we saw listed here with the different beasts, and we see all four of the beasts combined together in the image of the Antichrist, but we see them independently here in Daniel. The classical understanding of these four kingdoms is, number one, the Babylonian Empire, number two, the Medo-Persian Empire, number three, the Greek Empire of Alexander, before it was split up and divided, and then the Roman Empire. So the final world government of the Antichrist will be an amalgamation of all these previous, considered to be the four greatest empires in world history. Now, based on this model, many of the prophecy teachers believe 
that the one world government of the Antichrist will be a revived Roman Empire. European Union slash Vatican. However, there's an interesting twist here that we have to at least consider. Classical view does not take into account another major empire, and that is the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish or Muslim Empire. The Ottoman Empire, created by Turkish tribes in Anatolia, Asia Minor, that grew to be one of the most powerful states in the world during the 15th and 16th centuries. The Ottoman period spanned more than 600 years and came to an end only in 1922 when it was replaced by the Turkish Republic and various successor states in southeastern Europe to the gates of Vienna, including present-day Hungary, the Balkan region, Greece, and parts of Ukraine, portions of the Middle East now occupied by Iraq, Syria, Israel, and Egypt, North Africa as far west as Algeria, and large parts of the Arabian Peninsula. The term Ottoman is a dynastic appellation derived from Osman I, uh, Arabic, possibly Uthman, and he was the nomadic Turkmen chief who founded both the dynasty and the empire around 1300. So there's a fifth empire that com could come into play here. And by the way, of all the ancient empires... Which one would you say at this point shows the most signs of re-emerging? Quite possibly the Ottoman Empire. And there are those like, I believe it's Joel Rosenberg and others. Joel Rosenberg's actually written a book called The Islamic Antichrist. I don't think it's nearly as important to know exactly where the seat of his one world government will be or where he comes from. It's simply to know that it is coming to this planet and that those who will be here, we won't be here because we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. But for those who will be here, it's going to be a horrific time. So the dragon, Satan, gave him, the beast, the Antichrist, his power, his throne, and great authority. Now, Satan had previously made this same offer to someone else. Matthew 8, 8. Jesus, remember the Holy Spirit, after he's baptized, the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the Jordanian wilderness, there by the Jordan River, where he fasts and prays 40 days, 40 nights, remember? To be tempted. He's led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, be tested before he begins his earthly ministry. That happens before Jesus ever went out and preached or did anything. So he's there. And at the end of this fasting period, 40 days, and that's the point where you have to eat or you will die. When you have fasted for 40 days, your body begin, is feeding off of itself. You're no longer taking any external nutrients in. And at that point, you must eat or you will die. And Satan, of course, tempts Jesus. Why don't you turn that rock into a loaf of bread and so forth? But the ultimate temptation that Satan laid before Jesus was this. Matthew 8 and 9. Matthew 8, 8 and 9. That's not right. It's got to be chapter 3. One of the, another one of those uh, flaws in my notes. Chapter 3, not chapter 8. Again, the devil took him, Jesus, up on an exceedingly high mountain. Yeah, we're in a neat spot right here, by the way. Have you ever... Um, looked out over the city from this location. Now, if you go up 
We don't encourage people to go wandering around the building, but if you go up to the second or the third floor of the main building, we have a balcony up there. We haven't used it very much. Like to use it more. If you go up there, you can see the you can see practically the grants. It's an amazing view. So Satan takes, in fact, the seven-story building next door that we don't own anymore, thank God, <laughs> we sold it. Um, if you go up onto the top of that building, that is the highest point in Albuquerque. That's the highest point. There is no place higher than the top of that building. So Satan takes Jesus up onto this exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, Satan says to Jesus, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. The only difference is Jesus turned him down, but the Antichrist will not. Now, there would be no temptation in an offer like that unless Satan had the ability to deliver, right? And so we've seen many people over millennia, thousands of years, that have taken Satan up on this offer for riches, for fame, for glory, for power. Jesus turned him down, thank God, because he is God. He didn't need to take up... Satan was only offering Jesus a shortcut. Jesus is going to come back again. He is going to rule this world. But Satan was trying to tempt Jesus by offering him a shortcut. You don't have to go to the cross. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give it all to you now. Did you know the devil does the same thing with you and I? He's always offering us shortcuts in life. But there's always a hitch. There's always a hitch. There's a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Okay. Whoever or whatever, the Antichrist, may he be human or something else, he gladly, willingly accepts the offer that Jesus rejected 2,000 years earlier. Verse 3, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world marvel, marveled and followed the beasts. So they used to speculate, well, maybe John Kennedy's the Antichrist because he had a mortal head wound. But, and, he, and they used to spread rumors. He's actually alive on this island, you know, and we have pictures of him in a wheelchair and blah, blah, blah. Crazy stuff. But, now we have previously associated... The seven heads. Remember we talked about the seven mountains, a city on seven hills? Rome being one. Tehran. Even Jerusalem. There are a number of cities that would qualify. But these heads can also represent rulers, heads of state. And as a result of a fake or a demonic resurrection... The Antichrist will gain an, an immediate worldwide following. And you know, with all the amazing technological and medical advances we've seen in our lifetime, there are a number of possibilities as to 
how this could work. A head wound would seem to indicate a bullet wound or perhaps shrapnel from a bomb. At any rate, there will be some kind of what appears to be a miraculous resurrection, antichrist, again mimicking Jesus. So as a result, verse 4, they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. So they don't just worship the beast, they worship the dragon who is Satan. There was a recent TV series, I don't think it's on any longer, thank God, called Lucifer. Remember that? Where they're trying to portray him as this misunderstood, you know, they're always pulling that stuff, aren't they? They did the same thing with Judas and Jesus Christ Superstar, and they're always trying to make the bad guy look like the good guy, and the good guy look like the bad guy. And so apparently, they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. Lucifer, the illuminated one, will be given credit for the resurrection. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Isaiah 14, 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will, these are the five I wills of Satan, I will ascend into the heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars or angels of God. I will also sit at the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Satan attempted to usurp the power, authority, and throne of God, and for that he was cast out of heaven. And that's the same thing he offered Eve in the garden. God doesn't want you to eat from that fruit because he's a meanie and he knows when you do, you'll be just like him. Lie. One final long passage here, Ezekiel 28, beginning of verse 12. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. And here the king of Tyre is actually, you'll see this as we get into it, it's actually Satan. Say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. We believe that Satan was actually the worship leader in heaven. He was the, the highest of all the angelic beings. And he got filled with pride. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. Don't forget that. He is a created being. Only God is God. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities. By the iniquity of your trading, therefore I brought fire from your midst, it devoured you, 
and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you and all who knew you among the peoples were astonished at you. You have now become a horror and shall be no more forever. And so again, we see here a description of Satan and all of his glory, but how his pride and arrogance resulted in his downfall, but we see all the way to the very end, his ultimate demise. Demise. They worshipped the dragon. Now, Illuminati teachings, you get into the upper, deeper levels of the Masonic order, they, they put forth the belief that Lucifer is actually the good guy. Some of you may already know this. And that Yahweh, Jehovah God, is the evil one who prevents the human race from reaching its full potential and full enlightenment by suppressing knowledge. Again, it goes right back to the Garden of Eden. Same lie, same dragon, same devil. But one of the things that will be made manifest in the tribulation is a worldwide embracing of this belief that the true good guy is Satan, Lucifer, the enlightened one who wants to enlighten the human race. And again, if you're reading the book, there it is. Finally, Genesis 3, 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. First he said, did God say you would die if you eat from that tree? You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There it is, same old line. And the reaction from the people will be, wow, this guy is amazing. Who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? So resurrected from the dead by what the people will now believe to be the real good guy, Lucifer, he will be seen as unstoppable and unbeatable. But again, next week I'm going to take us over to Daniel 7 and do a deep dive there to tie it in with what we're studying here. Let's stand. A lot of people find it very unnerving and disturbing to look at these things, study these things, but I find it very exciting to be living in these times personally. Maybe I'm weird. <laughs> exciting if you know him. If you know the one who has already won the battle. I guess we should pray first. Before we do, raise your hand if you have a prayer request this morning. Raise your hand. We'd like to include all of you. And you know, I'm going to pray, but even those standing near those raising their hands, you can pray for them too. Father, we lift up each one that's raised their hand. You know what's going on. Father, it could be a prayer request for a friend, a loved one, a co-worker, a neighbor that needs salvation. Father, if that's the case, we lift each one up to you. We pray that you would give them the gift of faith and the gift of repentance, that you would draw them to yourself, Lord. Father, if it's a request for health issues, we pray for an outpouring of your healing, anointing oil of your Holy Spirit upon each one. Lord, whether it's just a cold or allergies or something really serious, Lord, nothing's too difficult for you and nothing is impossible with you. So we do pray for healing for those in need. 
of your healing touch today, whether it be someone here in this room, someone watching from home, Lord, or uh, again, a friend, neighbor, relative, that these folks are lifting up to you in prayer right now. We pray for healing, Father, and we pray that you would get the glory that whoever it is that needs the healing and gets the healing would know with, beyond the shadow of a doubt that you're the one who did it. Pray for relationships to be healed, restored, strengthened. And Lord, we pray for if there are any unhealthy relationships, that there could be a severing because your word says we should not be unequally yoked with a non-believer. Uh, we should not engage in relationships that are de destructive and unhealthy. Sometimes we have to love people from a distance. So ask for wisdom there, Lord. Wisdom, guidance from your Holy Spirit. For provision, Lord, those who are struggling with financial issues, that you would take care of them, bless them. Lord, you promised to provide for our needs. We lift those up to you now. For employment, for those who may be in need of a job. God, we thank you that no matter what's going on in our lives, we can come to you and ask you for help, and you promised that you would give it to us. So I pray for encouragement for each one that's raised their hand here today, for strength, for endurance. Lord, your word tells us that we should count it all joy when we fall into various trials, testings, because the trying of our faith worketh patience in us, Lord. So we ask that you do that work in us, that we would have patience, endurance, uh, to finish the race that you've set before us. We thank you for your word. Pray that you continue to strengthen us from your word and give us all that we need to stand firm in these last days. Pray in Jesus' name.